we lead the world in facing down a threat to decency and humanity. What is at stake is more than one small country. It is a big idea, a new world order. But we can no longer risk emergency improvisation of national defense. We have been compelled to create a permanent armaments industry of vast proportions. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. You are listening to the Alchemical Tech Revolution, and I am your host, Wayne McCroy. Good evening, everyone. Tonight, we're going to look at our invisible government. Why the question mark after our invisible government is because this is coming from a very unexpected source. This is actually coming from a book written in 1922 by a member of the Rosicrucian Order in very high standing within that community. And his name was Max Heindel. And some of you may be familiar with some of Max Heindel's other writings. And I'm actually reading from a book of his that's titled Gleanings of a Mystic. This was one of the last books that he wrote before he died, before he passed away. And in this book, it's got it broken down into various sections here in different chapters. And he speaks in chapter 14 of this book about what he titles the chapter, Our Invisible Government. And we're going to get into that a little bit here tonight, and it's it's probably not what you think. I find it rather interesting that uh, this, this is a 100-year-old book, and he's defining certain forces and uh, different things in this world that most people, even now, 100 years later, are largely unaware of. We'll read what he has to say here, and we're only going to go through this one chapter here tonight, and it's a relatively short chapter. It's only about six or seven pages long or something like that. But it's it's pretty succinct and to the point, and I will, of course, go ahead and give you my take on these things. This is actually a sort of an episode some of my listeners have requested that I do, and you'll see why when we get into it. So if you're one of the people that was asking for me to do an episode on that particular thing, well, here we go. So uh, this, this will uh, lay it all out for you. So let's read in this book, Gleanings of a Mystic, by Max Heindel, Chapter 14, Our Invisible Government. 
It is well known to students of the Rosicrucian philosophy that each species of animals is dominated by a group spirit, which is their guardian and looks after these, its wards, with a view to bringing them along the path of evolution that is best suited to their development. It does not matter what the geographical position of these animals is, the lion in the jungles of Africa is dominated by the same group spirit as is the lion in the cage of a menagerie in our northern countries. Therefore, these animals are alike in all their principal characteristics. They have the same likes and dislikes with respect to diet, and they act in an almost identical manner under similar circumstances. And I'm going to pause there for a second, folks. Now, I don't think that this is all necessarily true, but this is a core facet of the belief systems of the, the cosmo conception of the Rosicrucians. Uh, they believe that animals are uh, governed, so to say, by a group spirit. Each type of animal has its own particular group spirit. They, they kind of don't believe that uh, animals have any type of individuality. I, I could see different traits in many of the different animals that I've had as pets, uh, dogs, cats. They all have different personality types, right? Uh, that's, that's largely the experience. They have different personalities, and they, re they react differently to things. So I don't know if this is really a fair assessment that they make, but they do claim that these animals are governed by this group spirit, and this is one of the core tenets to the belief system of the Rosicrucian Cosmo Conception. This is how the Rosicrucians view our reality. They think these animals, they are all guided by this group spirit. Let's read on here. If one wants to study the tribe of lions or the tribe of tigers, all that is necessary is to study one individual, for it has neither choice nor prerogative, but acts entirely according to the dictates of the group spirit. I'm going to pause for a second there. So he's equating things like uh, instincts that animals have as being a manifestation of this group spirit type of an idea. That's the thing. I mean, we understand wild animals, they have these instincts, and they will act according to these instincts in most cases. They take it a step further, and they kind of view it as, you know, these animals don't have any kind of individuation. And I don't think that necessarily holds true. Based upon my, my own experiences with animals, knowing animals, they all have different personality types. And, uh, you know, it's not to say maybe there's something to this group spirit idea that they have. There might be something there. I don't know. I can't really say. But uh, to think that they're all just guided by this group spirit, and that's it. That's all there is to it. There's nothing else going on upstairs. Uh, I think that's a misnomer, because animals have shown us just how intelligent they can be. So that being the case, they, they've shown some different signs of uh, what we would consider individuality. Uh, so that being the case, I don't know if it's it's necessarily fair to equate these characteristics to the animals, but this is certainly what the Rosicrucians teach and believe. So that's the important thing to keep in mind here. So that's what he's referring to. Now let's let's read on here. The mineral cannot choose whether it will crystallize or not. The rose is bound to bloom. The lion is compelled to prey. And in each case, the activity is dictated entirely by the group spirit. And I'm going to pause there. Once again, I don't know if that's necessarily true. Okay, These are instinctual things, or these are, are natural energies that take place. Maybe that's what he's referring to as the group spirit here with these things. 
but I, I don't necessarily think that everything is bound to this. That's like kind of an absolute that he's putting forward here. Um, but let's read on what he says here next. But man is different. When we want to study him, we find that each individual is as a species by himself. What one does under any given circumstance is no indication of what another man may do. One man's meat is another man's poison. Each has different likes and dislikes. This is because man, as we see him in the physical world, is the expression of an individual indwelling spirit, seemingly having choice and prerogative. And I'm going to pause there. I don't disagree with this, right? We all have this individual spirit. We have our own free will. We make choices and decisions based upon that free will and our own experiences. So he's saying man's different in this aspect. And yes, man is different than the other animals in certain aspects. But uh, I don't think the animals lack the individuation like man also has. Although they're probably more compelled to act according to instinct than by reason. I think that's fair to say. But uh, does that equate to this group spirit idea? Maybe, maybe not. But that group spirit idea is going to be important here moving forward once again. So essentially what he's saying here is man's different from most of the beasts because he could make choices. He's got this individuality. He's got free will. He has this whole concept. And animals don't have that. They act surely by instinct. So let's, let's read on here. But as a matter of fact, man is not quite as free as he seems. All students of human nature have observed that on certain occasions, a large number of people will act as though dominated by one spirit. Now, I'm going to pause there, folks. Pay attention closely to what's being said here, all right? And and we see this. This could be actually uh, some of what he says can hold true because we, we do see that the idea of, uh, like, say, the public or the masses psychologically uh, manipulating the masses is much easier than just, you know, psychologically manipulating the individual, right? It's It's mass psychology. And this has largely been studied by many people. And this is kind of a true statement in a way. Now, is it true because of the reasons that this guy is going to give as we go forward? Or is it true for other reasons? Who can say for sure? It is also easy to see, without recourse to occultism, that the different nations have certain physical characteristics. We all know the German, French, English, Italian, and Spanish types. Gonna pause there. So he's, he's making stereotypical references here. He's saying we all understand these types, okay, these stereotypes, right? German, French, English, Italian, and Spanish types. Let's read on. Each of these nations has characteristics which differ from those of other nations, thus indicating that there must be a race spirit at the root of these peculiarities. And I'm going to pause right there. And for anybody who's been listening for a while... And any of you out there have been who've been asking about what what do the Rosicrucians believe about race? How are some of their writings racist in certain ways? Well, here we go. We're going to explore this idea just uh, basically on a surface level here, because this is what Max Heindel, one of their most prolific occultist writers within the Rosicrucian fraternity in the last century, this is what he thinks about this. This is what he believes. This is what he teaches. This is what he's been taught by other initiates in the order. Okay, so he's saying that these differences between nations, it all equates down to different race spirits. Now remember, 
he was talking earlier about how animals are governed by this group spirit. Well, he's kind of equating the same thing to human beings here now, even though he said there's a differentiation. Now, keep this in mind, but he's saying there's different racial spirits, race spirits, that govern the minds of men here. All right, um, so let's read on. The occultist, who is gifted with spiritual sight, knows that such is the case, and that each nation has a different race spirit, which broods as a cloud over the whole country. In the people, sorry, in it, the people live and move and have their being. It is their guardian and is constantly working for their development, building up their civilization and fostering ideals of the highest nature compatible with their capacity for progress. And I'm going to pause there, folks. So once again, we see the idea. He's, he's doubling down on this race spirit ideology, that this, this racial spirit. And he's also inferring here that some races... Uh, are probably more capable of achieving process than other progress than others. That's what he's implying here. All right, let's listen to that again. In it, the people live and move and have their being. It is their guardian and is constantly working for their development, building up their civilization and fostering ideals of the highest nature compatible with their capacity for progress. So he's saying some races have more capacity for progress than others. That's what's being implied here, folks. Once again, this ties back to the ideals of that they, the Germans in the Nazi era uh, of World War II, the, the types of ideas that they were pursuing, right? The, the Aryan race. It, it always ties back to this stuff. Well, this is largely Rosicrucian philosophy here. And, you know, it might not be a comfortable subject for some people, but this is absolutely what they believe and they act upon. It's, it's, it's kind of telling, and people have asked me, what is it that they believe? In what ways is Rose, are Rosicrucian teachings racist? Here it is. And I'm just reading his own words here. I'm not adding anything really to it. I'm telling you word for word, reading verbatim from his own book here. Let's read on. In the Bible, we read that Jehovah, Elohim, who was the race spirit of the Jews, went before them in a pillar and a cloud. And in the book of Daniel, we gain considerable insight into the workings of these race spirits. The image seen by Nebuchadnezzar, with its head of gold and feet of clay, showed plainly how a civilization built up in the beginning with golden ideals degenerated more and more until in the latter part of its existence, the feet were of unstable, crumbling clay, and the image was doomed to topple. And I'm going to pause there, folks. I think he's interpreting this this symbol backwards. Uh, if you're familiar with this this story of Nebuchadnezzar in the Bible and the, the statue that he sees that has the, the feet and the toes made of a mixture of clay and iron and how the rest of it is progressively, it goes, it's made of silver and gold at the top. Well, when you look at it, what are the feet? The feet are a foundation. So the foundation is faulty. It's not that it's become unstable as time progressed, right? That it started out in this sense, in the golden state, the ideal state. So it's kind of a backwards interpretation of things. So basically he's saying in the latter part of its existence, the feet were unstable, crumbling clay, and the image was doomed to topple. Let's read on. Thus, 
All civilizations, when started by the different race spirits, have great and golden ideals, but humanity, by reason of having some free will and choice, does not follow implicitly the dictates of the race spirits as the animals follow the commands of the group spirits. Hence, in the course of time a nation ceases to rise, and as there can be no standing still in the cosmos, it begins to degenerate until finally the feet are of clay, and it is necessary to strike a blow to shatter it, that another civilization may be built on its, upon its ruins. And let's pause there for a second. I'm going to read that last sentence again. Think about the implication here, okay, of what's being said. And uh, maybe there is some truth to this idea. But there's also an inherent threat in this idea as well. And let's listen to it again. Hence, in the course of time, a nation ceases to rise. And as there can be no standing still in the cosmos, it begins to degenerate until finally the feet are of clay. And it is necessary to strike a blow to shatter it, that another civilization may be built upon its ruins. Okay, going to pause there. Uh, that's that's huge. So it's saying there that a, a blow, so there it's necessary to strike a blow to shatter it, when the this uh, racial idea degenerates to the point where it's it's unstable. That's what he's claiming. He's claiming anytime a a race spirit or something, uh, as he views it here, starts out, it starts out with all good ideas, golden ideas, pure ideas, but uh, the human beings within that racial group, as he's saying here because they have free will and choice, they don't follow the ideals laid down in the beginning by that racial group. And so, in so doing, it begins to slowly degenerate through time until it's ready to crumble. And then when it gets to the state where it's ready to crumble, it needs to be smashed. So another civilization can rise in its place. That's what he's saying here. Now listen, think about the implications of that. Look at the world around us today. We could see and we understand, if, if we understand this symbol that's given to us in the Bible and this statue that was made of gold at the top and then silver and on and on down until uh, you get to the feet and it's a mix of iron and clay in the feet and he has a vision of this thing being shattered, that's, that's what this is kind of invoking here. That's an archetypal representation that's being invoked here by Mr. Max Heindel in this book. So... Let's, let's read on and see what else he has to say. But empires do not fall without a strong physical blow. And therefore, an instrument of the race spirit of a nation is always raised up at the time when the nation is doomed to fall. In the 10th and 11th chapters of Daniel, we are given an insight into the workings of the invisible government of the race spirits, the powers behind the throne. And I'm going to pause right there, folks. Why was it necessary in recent years for the social engineers of this world to stir up tension between the races again? Hmm? Why was this necessary? Well, I think we're reading a little bit into the occult reasoning behind it. With these people, these dark occultists who run this place, the things they believe and the things that they do to try to manipulate the world events and uh, bring about different ideals in this world. So we see here, the Rosicrucian belief here is that the, the race spirits are the invisible government that runs this place. This is what they teach, this is what they believe. They believe that these race spirits are the guiding principles in this place. 
and that that's what makes the world go around this tension and this conflict between the different racial groups understand in the bible in the the book of matthew uh, chapter 24 it talks about nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom is that what's being alluded to here as well because in the beginning here he described nations as being guided by these race spirits each nation being guided by these race spirits so that being the case we could see the correlation and the connection the one-to-one there so what's being manipulated here i think there's energies in this world that are being manipulated by these dark occultists to try to bring things into fruition so they've stirred up the racial tensions once again and it's a a big social engineering trope right now isn't it it has been for as long as man's been around we see how we've had we've made some progress in in that realm in the late part of the 20th century and uh, in the early 21st century here and then just lo and behold within the past decade or so well there's all these new tensions again and it's just like what happened in the 1960s we're having all these same types of different conflicts going on racial tensions these energies are being manipulated by this quote-unquote invisible government, and I, I think that's the dark occultist behind the scenes, folks. Not so much necessarily race spirits. Uh, I see this as being, uh, you know, a, a disingenuous description of a natural force here in this world. Okay, let's put it that way. Who knows for sure what's what, but he does say here that the race spirits, that they constitute this invisible government, and... Uh, The race spirits are the powers behind the throne. So let's read on. So it says here, Daniel is much disturbed in spirit. He fasts for fully three weeks, praying for light. And at the end of that time, an archangel, a race spirit, appears before him and addresses him. And I'm going to pause there before I, I tell you what the angel says to him here. Because he's saying it's an archangel. And he says, a race spirit. So are these race spirits, are they archangels? Do you, do you think the angelic beings are racist, folks? <laughs> do, you, do you think uh, arch, archangels are racist, in a sense? Uh, do you think it, it all lines up with uh, this, this racial profiling bit? Do you think there's different archangels that watch over each and every different racial division of, the, of humanity? In my view, humanity, we're, we're all one race. We're all the human race, right? We're all humans. So... What's it matter what our skin color is or like, you know, what color hair we have or eyes or how tall or short we are, how we're built, this kind of thing. We're all human beings. We all have many things in common. And I don't think there's different racial spirits between different human beings. We're all human beings. We all have the same type of spirit or soul, in my view. I don't see one race being any different in a spiritual regard than any other, but this is exactly how the Rosicrucians view these things. They see some races being superior and some races being inferior, speaking in terms of spiritual enlightenment or spiritual growth or these kind of things, how they do. They see some as being more capable of spiritual growth than others. And this is not me saying this stuff. This is this is the viewpoint of the Rosicrucians. This is what they teach. This is what they believe. Okay, so this is that that's the bottom line here. They believe certain races are superior to others or are, are going to ascend higher than others. Based upon what? 
based upon skin color. <laughs> you know, it doesn't even make any sense. It, it doesn't have any foundation of truth to it. But they claim that there's different root races that we all have uh, come out from in earlier ages past, in the age of Lemuria and of Atlantis, and all of these different things. So it's kind of convoluted teachings, and they think we're we're different. But uh, how is it that we're different, but we're all the same? You know what I mean? We're all human. We're all human. And, you know, just because we have some of these minor external appearance differences, it doesn't make us different species. And that's kind of how they, they think of it how they think of the different races as different species so to say so anyway but let's read on and see what he says so so he says here that daniel fasted and at the end of that time an archangel which he refers to here as a race spirit appears before him and addresses him and he says to him quote fear not daniel for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy god thy words were heard and I am come for thy words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, and I remained there with the king of Persia. End quote. So after he explains to Daniel what, it, what is to happen, he says, Knowest thou wherefore I came unto thee? And now will I return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I am gone forth, lo, the prince of Grecia shall come. And there is none that holdeth with me in these things, but Michael, your prince. The archangel also says, In the first year of Darius the Mede, even I stood to confirm and to strengthen him. So I'm going to pause there for a second. So what exactly is he saying here? Well, basically he's equating these archangels to different racial spirits. And he's equating this one that spoke to uh, Daniel here as being the race spirit of the Persian people. And he's saying that uh, when he goes forth, the prince of Grecia shall come. And that that's a different race spirit. And that this, this race spirit's going to have more prominence than the, the Persian race spirit at this point. And he also uh, speaks multiple times of Michael, your prince. Michael being an archangel. And I guess this would be the archangel or the race spirit of the Jews. That That's kind of what's implied here. The implication is that different racial stock will take prominence at different times throughout the different events of the world here, all based upon these race spirits doing what they do. All right, and it's equating them to archangels. I find that interesting. So this is what the Rosicrucians believe and what they teach. Uh, let's, let's read on here. So when the handwriting is on the wall, someone is raised up to administer the blow. Now remember, I'm going to pause here for a second. Remember, we're talking about he claimed that uh, what happens over time is when a, a new race spirit takes hold and becomes prominent and builds a civilization that it eventually degrades. And when it degrades, then that's represented at the statue by the, the feet made of clay and iron mixed together. And it becomes unstable. And then it needs to be crushed or shattered so that a new civilization can spring forth and take prominence. So that's what he's talking about here. So he says here, let's read on again. So when the handwriting is on the wall, someone is raised up to administer the blow. It may be a Cyrus, a Darius, an Alexander, a Caesar, a Napoleon, or a Kaiser. Such a one may think himself a prime mover, a free individual acting by his own choice and prerogative. But as a matter of fact, he is only the instrument of the invisible government of the world, the power behind thrones. 
the race spirits, who see the necessity of breaking up civilizations that have outlived their usefulness, so that humanity may get a new start and evolve under a new and higher ideal than that which insulted it before. Did you catch all that? I'm going to read that again for you. Uh, real slow. So that you kind of get the implication being made here. The inference being made. Okay? So you can understand what's being said. Now, once again, I'll say I don't think there's anything to this race-spirit concept in and of itself. I think it's it's a misdescription of some type of natural force. But that the real invisible government behind the scenes is these dark occultists that run things in this world and try to manipulate these different energies in this world in different ways. But let's read that again so we can understand such a one may think himself a prime mover, a free individual acting by his own choice and prerogative, but as a matter of fact, he is only the instrument of the invisible government of the world, the power behind thrones, the race spirits, who see the necessity of breaking up civilizations that have outlived their usefulness. I'm going to pause there. Do you really think archangels would see necessity in breaking up civilizations that have outlived their usefulness. So that humanity may get a new start and evolve under a new and higher ideal than that which ensouled it before. <laughs> so that's an interesting idea, isn't it? So they're claiming here that this natural energy or these natural forces that are inherent here that I believe are manipulated by some of these dark occultists and places of power in this world that run things... I believe that this is actually what they're planning on doing or trying to do right now. They're trying to smash, as it were, our current civilization because they think we've all outlived our usefulness. And they refer to us as the useless eaters, don't they? And now it's time to smash and grab and break and rebuild. So essentially, I think that's what's going on here. I think that's what they've been up to. And it all has to do, once again, with the advent of transhumanism. Sorry to say it, I gotta break it in there. <laughs> Anytime I do any type of a broadcast here, it always ties back to the same couple of things. It always goes back to occultism, uh, back with the ancient mystery schools and some of these teachings and secret society groups and how they've perverted alchemical processes. And it always ties to transhumanism being the ultimate result here. And that's exactly what they're looking for. But uh, let's continue on. Christ himself, when upon earth, said, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. For it was evident to him that as long as humanity was divided into races and nations, there could be no peace on earth and goodwill among men. And I'm going to pause there, folks. This is a total misinterpretation of Jesus' statement in that, in that case. He, he did say, I came not to bring peace, but a sword. But what he meant by this is, in his arrival here, in his coming here, in his being here, he knew that this was going to create a sort of tension or a type of division among people, and it was going to draw forth this spirit of Antichrist that was going to create conflict. Uh, that's what he meant by this. He didn't mean that uh, he doesn't see any hope in humanity having peace when it was divided into all these races and nations. No, that's not what he meant at all. That's a convoluted interpretation of this, which aligns with Rosicrucian agenda. 
understand because the, the racial agenda is part of the Rosicrucian agenda. So, of course, they're going to twist and pervert Jesus' words to make them try to mean something that they really don't mean. So that's essentially what he's done here. So let's read on. Only when the nations have become united in a universal brotherhood is peace possible. I'm going to pause there. That's always the shtick with these secret society groups. Universal brotherhood. Yeah, okay. <laughs> That's the only time peace is possible. Uh, do you know what the, uh, the, the communist, communist definition of peace is? The communist definition of peace is lack of opposition to communism. So there you go. <laughs> the same thing could be said with these universal brotherhoods. Their, their idea of peace would be the lack of opposition to universal brotherhoods. So anyway, let's, let's read on here. The barriers of nationalism must be done away with, and to this end the United States of America has been made a melting pot where all that is best in the old nations is being brought together and amalgamated so that a new race with higher ideals and feelings of universal brotherhood may be born for the Aquarian Age. And I'm going to pause right there, folks. I'm going to read that again for you. So you can understand what's going on in America. Why do we have open borders? Uh, why do we do all this ridiculous backwards nonsense and not take care of our own citizens? Well, this is why. It's the opening of the floodgates. They want to amalgamate everybody together because this is part of their agenda, see? The barriers of nationalism must be done away with, and to this end the United States of America has been made a melting pot where all that is best in the old nations is being brought together and amalgamated, so that a new race with higher ideals and feelings of universal brotherhood may be born for the Aquarian Age. And, uh, like I just said, think about that. They're also uh, making... Uh, an inference here that the old nations, it's, they're bringing together the best aspects of the old nations here. Well, here's the problem with that. When you bring all the best aspects of the old nations together, you also bring the worst aspects of them together. So we have all that going on as well. But these people, it's always pie in the sky. Uh, we're so smart. We've got these great plans uh, kind of a thing, right? And, and this is why they had to go ahead and pursue eugenics. Because in bringing together all the best aspects of all these different world cultures together in the melting pot here, well, they brought together all the worst aspects of it, too. Uh, so that being the case, they wanted to try, once again, to only keep some of these best aspects or these best traits of these different varieties of racial groups, so to say, here, and do away with the less desirable aspects of it. That's why there's such a thing as eugenics, folks. That's where the whole idea came from. That's where Darwinian evolutionary theory came from. All these things, all derived from eugenics, all based upon these ideas from the Rosicrucians and others. All these racial ideas. So let's read on here, though. In the meantime, the barriers of nationalism have been partially broken down in Europe by the terrible conflict just passed. And I'm going to pause there. Remember, this was written in 1922, so it's referring to World War I. This brings nearer the day of universal amity and the realization of the brotherhood of man. There is also another object to be gained, 
Of all the terrors to which mankind is subjected, there is none so great as death, which separates us from those we love because we are unable to see them after they have stepped out of their bodies. But just as surely as the day follows the night, so will every teardrop wear away some of the scale that now blinds the eyes of man to the unseen land of the living dead. I'm going to pause right there, folks. The living dead? What is he talking about here? What is he talking about? Let's read on. We have said repeatedly, and we now reaffirm, that one of the greatest blessings which will come from the war will be the spiritual sight which a great number of people will evolve. I'm going to pause there. So he's claiming that people, because of trauma and conflict, will develop this sort of spiritual sight where they'll be able to see into the realm of the dead. Okay, that's what this guy is saying. And, uh... The way he's talking about it, well, uh, we'll, we'll get there in a minute. Let me continue reading what he says here. The intense sorrow of millions of people, the longing to see again the dear ones who so suddenly and ruthlessly have been torn from us, are a force of incalculable strength and power. Likewise, those who have been snatched by death in the prime of life and who are now in the invisible world are equally intense in their desires to be reunited with those near and dear to them so that they may speak the word of comfort and assure them of their well-being. Thus it may be said that two great armies comprising millions upon millions are tunneling with frantic energy and intensity of purpose through the wall that separates the invisible from the visible, and I'm going to pause there, folks. He's talking about tearing down the veil between realities, or between this world and the spiritual world. In what ways is this being done? How are they building this tunnel? What's the metaverse, folks? <laughs> what is the metaverse? Virtual reality. Artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence. Transhumanism. All these ideas, if they could, uh, you know, uh, scan your loved one that has died there, if they have scans, their brain scans, and can scan their memories and transfer their consciousness into a machine, into a computer, then they can live forever, and then they could be visible again from this invisible world that separates us, right? This is all artificial and contrived, folks. This is a perversion. It's a perversion and an inversion of the natural order of things. But he's talking about the tearing away of the veil between the visible and the invisible realms. But let's read on. Now, remember, this was 1922 he wrote this. Let's continue reading. And I find it interesting he uses the, the term, they're tunneling with frantic energy and intensity of purpose through the wall that separates the invisible from the visible. So they're trying to build this bridge between the visible world and the invisible world. So let's, we'll, we'll get a little bit more into that here as we go on. Let's, let's read what he says next. Day by day, this wall, or veil, is growing thinner, and sooner or later the living, and the living dead, will meet in the middle of the tunnel. And I'm going to pause there, folks. Now, he's choosing his words here very carefully. The living and the living dead. He's not saying the spirit, the, the living spirit, or the spirit in the, its spiritual form, 
or pure spirit or anything of that sort. The living dead. It's a dead entity, folks. It's the reign of dead matter. It's talking about transhumanism. Okay? I, I don't know if I can make it any more plain than that. A dead entity, a machine, a lifeless, soulless machine emulating a human spirit. Okay? Think of the spiritual ramifications of this. The living dead. What would animate the corpse of the living dead? A disembodied spirit of sorts that doesn't belong here in this reality, right? Transhumanism. The, the idea of transferring one's consciousness to a machine. Uh, that's the kinds of ideas that we're, we're talking about here when we look at it from our modern perspective and we understand what this guy was writing about a hundred years ago. He may not have had the full implication of what, what he meant here. He probably didn't have the insight into the technological aspect of this. Uh, but understand, he understood the spiritual ramifications of this, what this meant. This tearing down of the veil, this, this tunneling between the living and the living dead. The living dead. It's interesting he uses that term. But let's, let's read on. So we left off here. He says here, day by day, this wall or veil is growing thinner, and sooner or later, the living and the living dead will meet in the middle of the tunnel. Before we realize it, communication will have been established, and we shall find it a common experience that when our loved ones step out of their worn and sick bodies, we shall feel neither sorrow nor loss, because we shall be able to see them in their ethereal bodies. Gonna pause there. Their virtual bodies? Hmm? Moving among us as they used to do. So out of the great conflict we shall come as victors over death, and be able to say, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? And that's the end of this reading, folks. So there it is. The promise of transhumanism. All based upon these different racial ideas. That's... That's the Rosicrucian teachings. <laughs> that's, that's what they're teaching. That's what they want. That's what they're looking for. Okay, that this is, like I said, this is a, a hundred years ago this guy wrote this. Is Could this be any more prophetic of things here? He's talking about this link between the living and the living dead. And he's saying people would be able to see the ethereal bodies of their loved ones again now. Uh, that will have that connection. Well, I, I don't think he was necessarily keyed in that this would all be done in a technological fashion, in a very false, artificial way. But uh, it's definitely what they've been teaching, and you could understand how the, these ideas have been twisted and perverted and steered into this uh, transhumanist philosophy, right? Uh, so we could understand exactly where this is all coming from. So uh, once again, we see the basic surface uh, read of, of that, and we can understand how the racial views play into things in Rosicrucian teaching, and within uh, the greater realms of the mystery schools or the uh, secret society groups, all these same teachings underlie all of these things, okay? It's not exclusive to the Rosicrucians. Uh, this stuff is, is heavily uh, leveraged on by the Freemasons, even. So all these ideas are inherent in their teachings, and it might be more subtle and a little bit more hidden in some of these different groups. 
but uh, essentially they believe that uh, there's different racial stock that has different capabilities and capacities here in this world, and certain civilizations are destined to fall and crumble and be struck down so that newer, better, more advanced civilizations can take hold. And uh, we, we see this terminology and we see the archetypes represented here, the archetype of Shiva, the destroyer, that the, this destruction must come. The, the current race must be destroyed, or the current power structure, the current civilization, so to say, must be destroyed, and a new civilization built. And that's essentially what they've got going on here. That's what they they have in mind, doing the quote-unquote Great Reset. That's exactly what they're trying to accomplish. They're trying to strike down this civilization because they see it in this context. They see that it's become degenerated and weakened, and now the foundation is faulty, and it's crumbling, and it needs to be broken. So that's what they're trying to do. They're in the, the phase now where they're attempting to break it in order to try to rebuild it and utilize one of these different natural energies to bring about a new race. And this new race will be the, the united race of all these different human subracial groups, right? Uh, together in one, all combined together with the artificial intelligence combined into this transhumanist network. And that will be the new race, the new race spirit manifesting here. This, this is the way they view this. It's their teachings. Those are Max Heindel's words. Those were not my words. I read verbatim from his book. I added just a couple observations to that and clarified a couple of thoughts. But uh, that's essentially what they, they're saying and what they're teaching. Uh, they're all about striking down the old world order and installing a new world order. Understand? Uh, because it always stems back to the idea of chaos as well. Order out of chaos. That's the uh, motto of the Freemasons. Ordo ab chao. Order out of chaos. All these secret society groups at the topmost levels, they're all the same. They're all interlocked. They're all interwoven. That's what people don't seem to understand. These aren't separate groups. It's all the same brotherhood under all different names. It's always been that way throughout the ages, but at the topmost level of the power structure, they're all interlocked, and this is what you would call the quote-unquote Illuminati. Is the topmost levels of these secret societies. So that's what we see going on here. And these are the teachings that they've brought forward through the years and through, you know, the, the centuries. These are the things they believe. These are the principles that they act upon. And, sadly, by and large, a lot of these people who have taken these uh, teachings twisted and perverted some of the old alchemical ideas and, and natural energies of this place to use them against the public and use them for their own greedy personal gains. Uh, these elitists at the top of the power pyramid here, the dark occultists in this world that run things, they're the ones that have kept the knowledge of this stuff secret or hidden in these secret society groups. These ideas hidden, they've perverted and twisted them with their own agendas through the millennia, through the centuries, and we see we've got this perversion of what were originally uh, good in intention, good intended alchemical processes.
and they've they've taken these they've twisted and perverted them and inverted them for the sake of inverting the natural world and they've leveraged these things against the unknowing public who has little to no knowledge about this stuff and it's all hidden in plain sight that's the best part so you know it's it's because of lack of ambition of your average person to actually sit down and try and research something or understand something on their own that is much of the problem here in this world today complacency people are just complacent they're content to just sit back and let somebody else worry about these problems or let somebody else think about these things i don't want to think about that that's too uncomfortable to think about i don't want to have to deal with something like that let somebody else handle it that's that's beyond my pay grade right that's exactly the attitude that has gotten us to where we are in this world people don't want to have to use their god-given sensibilities their god-given intelligence their their god-given problem-solving skills to maybe take a little responsibility for their their selves and for the others around them and step up and do the right things it's more comfortable to just go along to get along it's more comfortable to just survive and maybe be entertained a little right as long as you've got enough food to eat and enough things to keep you occupied, you'll be fine. It's the old bread and circuses ideal, right? We see the same thing. It's the old tricks are the best tricks. It's the same thing going on in society today. So even though the past two years they've decimated our economy and stuff like that, by and large they've given people the opportunity to have enough to eat and be entertained. So they've gotten very little pushback. Uh, with the things that they've done because of those reasons and it's sad that it works that way but that's the way that it works a lot of times people don't want to do the uncomfortable thing people don't like stepping outside of their comfort zones and actually trying to attempt to do something to change things people don't like change but we go through change all the time change is an inevitability in this place we see constant changes taking place, but we don't want to be the ones responsible for that change, right? We try to keep things as comfortable as we can. We try to maintain our comfort zones, even through these changes, and make the changes as minimal as possible so that they're not inconvenient to us. We don't like being inconvenienced. Everything in our society is geared towards convenience, and that's a sad state of affairs. It's nice that we have these conveniences, but at the same token, it makes us complacent. It makes us not learn necessary skills. We have all of these luxuries at our fingertips, and uh, because of them, we've become complacent. Let somebody else worry about it. A lot of these ideas have been leveraged against us, and uh, uh, I just wanted to get across the point tonight. Our invisible government. Well... What do the Rosicrucians believe our invisible government is? Well, they equate it to archangels, which they also equate to race spirits. So they're acknowledging that there is a supernatural force guiding these people at the top of the power structure, these dark occultists, and they claim that it's archangels. I don't think that's necessarily the case, folks. Are we being misled on purpose, or do they sincerely believe that that's what it is, and they're being misled uh, through these different secret orders, these secret society groups? Many people that join these secret society groups, like the Freemasons and stuff, 
they have good intentions. They just want to be better people. They think they're joining something good. They're doing something good. Most of them don't have the first clue as to what goes on at the topmost levels of these secret society groups. They really firmly believe they're doing good things. And, yeah, they do do some good things on the surface. They donate money to charities and, you know, set up children's hospitals and and do nice things in the community and stuff like that. But uh, that's just surface-level stuff, folks. That's just for the porch masons. That's what they call people that just stick within the, the first three degrees. The Blue Lodge, as it's called. That's just for keeping up outward appearances. That's what that's about. And it's, it's about strengthening the power base. Because you could get all these guys to vote along the same lines. Do the same things. Support the same things. Because they're bound by blood oaths to their Masonic brothers. And this is, this is one of the, the key tenets to how things get done. Especially when you're placing members of these various orders in positions of power. Very select places in different communities and, and different aspects of governmental agencies. And, and just different areas in general. Different business opportunities and things like that. If you have a Masonic brother in those places, well, they're always going to hold up their other Masonic brothers. So even though the vast majority of them don't have the first clue that they're in this network that uh, at the topmost levels is doing nefarious things in this world and steering things in ways that they wouldn't be happy with, they, they just think that's all nonsense because that's what they're told by this group and they don't ever see anything like that going on in their lodge, do they? So, you know, it, it gives them the perfect type of a, an alibi or plausible deniability scenario for a lot of these things but this is largely how the power structure works and uh, i just wanted to point that out tonight with the idea of our invisible government what is it who is it and i would say by and large it's these dark occultists at the top of the power structure here guided by some type of supernatural force or entity that are guiding things now we could argue as to what these forces or entities that are influencing these these people, these dark occultists that run things, as I call them, we could argue all day long as to what exactly these are or who they are. The Rosicrucians seem to think that they're archangels. These would be the good guys, wouldn't they? These race spirits. And they can't see the hypocrisy of how something like a quote-unquote race spirit is kind of antithetical to what an angelic being would be. They don't see it because they're blinded by their own hubris and by their own teachings. The perversions through the years of these different things. It's describing some type of a natural force in this place, yes. And it's describing some type of supernatural influence in high places in this world. Yes. But it's misdescribing what's being told here. <laughs> so uh, we could see this is part of and parcel of what goes on with all these different secret societies. They even lie to their lower tier members. And that's openly acknowledged. So, you know, you, you can't really trust what they're telling you. And sometimes they give you good information. And sometimes they mix it with bad information. And sometimes they misdescribe what's actually going on with this information. 
So you have to have the power of discernment to be able to sort through these matters and figure this stuff out. But uh, anyway, thanks for tuning in tonight, folks. That's all I, I got on my mind here tonight. And I figured I would share that because, like I said, that was uh, something that listeners have requested that I, I break down. What is it exactly that the Rosicrucians believe that is racially biased in a sense? And this is it. This is just the brief overview of what that is and how that these racial ideas constitute what they consider our invisible government. So I hope you guys found this uh, informational tonight and I hope uh, we all could walk away learning something from it. And I thank you once again for tuning in. Have a good night, everyone. We lead the world in facing down a threat to decency and humanity. What is at stake is more than one small country. It is a big idea, a new world order. But we can no longer risk emergency improvisation of national defense. We have been compelled to create a permanent armaments industry of vast proportions. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex.